Saul's son was really the one who really had the faith, who really had the relationship with God. And he was really the, the example. Saul was not the example. Would to God that they would have chose Jonathan to be king. He would have been a much better king than his father. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. In our lesson today, we learn about Jonathan, King Saul's son. As chapter 14 of the book of 1 Samuel starts, there was nothing in this day to indicate it would be remarkable. But on this day, God would win a victory through the bold trust of Jonathan. God is always on the lookout for believing souls who will receive his power and grace on one hand and transmit them on the other. He chooses them that by them he should make his mighty power known. Jonathan was one of those souls. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he begins our study in chapter 14. But tonight, uh, let's open our Bibles to 1 Samuel. We're going to be looking at chapter 14 this night. And chapter 14 is a long chapter. It's 52 verses, and so we're just going to get right into it. Um, But before we do, I just want to say something about Jonathan, who is Saul, King Saul. King Saul was Israel's first king. Remember, Israel wanted a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations, and so the Lord gave them what they desired, And I love the verse that says, the Lord gave them their request, but sent leanness to their soul. And oftentimes that happens when we are bent on getting our own way, wanting what we want, not really being concerned about God's will. And if we want it and we beg for it long enough, God will often, sometimes, (laughs) I shouldn't say often, but he can and sometimes does give us what we want, what we ask for, if we want it long enough. And sometimes he does that, not so much to say, I agree with the decision, but sometimes our will can be such that I just continue knocking on the door. I keep knocking on the door. I keep begging in a sense. I really want this, Lord. I really want this. And he's like, you know, it's not good for you. That's why I haven't given it to you yet. But Lord, I want it. It's going to make me feel so much better. I'm going to feel so much better about myself. And he's like, do you really want it that bad? And sometimes the Lord says, okay. If you want it that bad, I'm going to allow you to have it. I'll see you in a little while because you know as well as I do when a child gets a shiny toy for Christmas that he's been wanting for a year and he sees it in the magazine and he finally gets it into his hands, within a few weeks it starts to lose its luster. The next thing you know, you're on to the next thing. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fulfill that longing. 
anymore. And such is the state of man. It's always been that way. But they wanted to be just like the other, uh, other nations who had a king. But let me suggest to you that last week's chapter and the chapter we're going to look at tonight, the, the real hero of the story is Jonathan. Jonathan, Saul's son. Jonathan was so different than his father. Remember, Saul was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in Israel, a good-looking man. And that's really what God knew that that's what they wanted. They wanted the package. And you know what I mean by that. You know, we look at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart, right? And so they wanted the package, and God gave them the package. If nothing else, to show them, prove to them that the package doesn't really matter. It's what's happening in here. And last week and tonight, we're going to see that Jonathan, Saul's son, was really the one who really had the faith, who really had the relationship with God. And he was really the the example. Saul was not the example. Would to God that they would have chose Jonathan to be king. He would have been a much better king than his father. And we're going to see tonight as Jonathan uh, takes on the Philistines and has a victory, and he led them Actually, he went out against them in chapter 13, and he was the one who initiated this battle. And now tonight, he's going to initiate another battle against the Philistines. He's going to be successful. And you're going to find Saul getting a little jealous. Saul was one of those men who was leader in really name only, but he really wasn't a good leader. Saul was suspicious. He was jealous. He was disobedient. He was unwilling to be tamed, and God was not pleased. And ultimately, God was going to replace him. So let's look at chapter 14. Normally, I like to read a portion of it before we get started, but because this chapter is so long and there's so much to cover in this chapter, let's just get right into it. I would encourage you to read it in context tonight before you go to bed. And you can even review the service online or on, you know, through our website. You can see the service back again as often as you want. You can also visit it on podcasts or Google playlists. Um, the services are there, the audio. You can review them at your leisure. But let's look at verse 1 here. It says, Now it happened one day that Jonathan the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, and this is what he said, Come and let us go over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And so here is Jonathan, this young man, the king's son, who actually is demonstrating more faith than his father. And I love his armor bearer, because his armor bearer seems to be like a man of kindred spirit with Jonathan, a man of faith, just like Jonathan. And in fact, I think that's why David and Jonathan got along so well. I think that's one of the things that drew Jonathan to David and David to Jonathan. They were both strong. They were both men of faith, and they really believed in what God had said. And so Jonathan tells his armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistines' garrison. So there's a grouping, a small uh, a garrison that is on the other side. Notice, but he did not tell Saul, his father. And again, Jonathan, the man of faith, unlike his father. And he probably didn't want to tell his father because Saul probably would have convinced him not to do so. Son, it's not a good idea. I've got a plan. This is not the right way to go about it. Don't do it. And yet we see... Jonathan really led by faith, and it actually was right on target, right on target. And God blesses that kind of faith, the kind of faith that 
It goes against all odds. But notice that Jonathan believed in God, and we're going to see that later by a comment that he makes. But a person acting on faith is very rarely seen as someone who is making any sense, especially to the unregenerate man. A man that doesn't have the Spirit of God dwelling in him, seeing another man who is led by the Spirit acting in faith looks like total nonsense to them. And be, don't be alarmed by that as you walk in your Christian faith and as you walk your walk of faith, that there's going to be times where God's going to call you to do something that's not going to make sense. In fact, if everything makes sense in your walk, there's probably something not quite right. It doesn't mean that God doesn't work with sense or with common sense. He certainly can and does. But there will be times where God will call you to do something that's very different from the methods of the world. And people say, you're losing your mind. That's not going to work. And see, it's not up to us to decide what works and what doesn't work. Our job is to be obedient, regardless of the outcome. Remember Jeremiah. God told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I want you to go and speak to the children of Israel to warn them of the judgment to come. And here's why I'm going to judge them, because of their idolatry. Oh, and by the way, Jeremiah, when you talk to them, they're not going to listen to you. In fact, they're probably going to throw you in prison. They're not going to listen to you. Well, thanks, Lord. I'm really glad to do that for you. (laughs) But see, Jeremiah is a hero of the faith because he didn't have a lot of accolades. He didn't have the the evidence that anything that he did was really um, spectacular. But God did. See, it's not up to us what happens after the fact. What's important for us is to be obedient to God's word and to what he commands us to do, even if nobody else agrees, even if your parents, even if other Christians say you're losing your mind. You be led by the Lord, and you wait and see what happens. Leave the results up to him. Don't even be concerned about results, because you get your eyes on the result, you're going to get discouraged and think, and then the devil will come, ah, the Lord didn't tell you to do that. You just made a fool of yourself in front of all your brothers and sisters and your whole family. An unbelieving man, you don't do it again. That's what the devil says. And God is saying, even if you make a mistake, blessed are you. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. If you pray and you feel like God is leading you to do something and it doesn't go against his revealed will and you get that still small voice, step out in faith and try it and see what happens. You've got nothing to lose. Maybe there will be a a price in it. But let me tell you this. If you're genuine and you sincerely, sincerely pray and you step out in faith, God, even if it wasn't the, what you thought, even if it was a mistake of yours because you misled, you, you know, you thought it was him and it really wasn't, God is not going to punish you for that, especially if it doesn't go against his will. You understand what I'm saying, right? You know, if you, if, if, if you feel like, well, I really think I should, you know, I, I really think I should push that elderly person over because they'll grow in their faith. I think you can probably say it probably wasn't the Lord, Right? So you understand, we, we, we don't violate the will of God to do something that God asks us to do. But, so Jonathan now is acting out in faith. And in fact, in Hebrews 11, that's the definition, right? Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for. You're hoping for it, and there's evidence, but you haven't obtained it yet. It kind of is like a a contradiction, isn't it? Because normally when you have evidence, there's no reason for faith now because it's right before you. But when you believe and you understand that it's, you have this feeling in your heart that God is going to do this, but you you don't have the evidence yet. 
That is what faith is. It's the substance of that. It's, it's the substance of things hoped for. And we're going to see Jonathan in verse 6. He's going to be um, declaring another wonderful act of faith. But notice in verse 2, So Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah, which is the, his hometown, under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. 600 men. And this is interesting because while Jonathan is focused on vanquishing the enemy, what is his father doing? He's sitting underneath the pomegranate tree when he should have been engaged. And I wonder why Jonathan didn't go up to his dad and say, hey, dad, let's go get him, because he knew that his father would probably talk him out of it. And I want you to underline this 600 men, because you'll see back in chapter 13, in verse 2, what did Saul start off with? It says, Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash. Remember that, 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash, and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gabeah of Benjamin. And then we're going to see in, in chapter 13, beginning in verse 15, now it says that um, then, Sam, uh, then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people present with him. They were, now there's only about 600 of them. The reason being is they were so scared about this battle with the Philistines, how they looked to be overrun, and they were scared and fearful. He lost, you know, uh, what is it, 70%. Right? Something like that. He lost a lot of men. And God can do a lot with 600 men. We know that God can do a lot with 300 men. Remember in Judges chapter 7 when Gideon went against the Amalekites. God chose. He had to whittle down this army of 32,000 warriors, God had to whittle it down to 300. That's a 99%, less than 99, or actually 99% reduction of his army. Think of that. He said, with these, with these 300 men, you're going to win this battle against thousands of Midianites and Amalekites and people of the east. So verse 3, Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing an ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. And so we see this gentleman, Ahijah, from the line of Eli. Remember, Eli was the priest when Samuel was real young. And Samuel served, actually, under Eli. And remember, he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were corrupt men. But Phinehas had at least two children. The Bible tells us about Ichabod. His wife was dying when she gave birth to Ichabod. But it also says that he had another son called Ahitub. And Ahitub had a son, and his name was Ahijah. And this is the man that we're referring to tonight. And he was a priest. And notice that he had an ephod in his are wearing an ephod. And an ephod in those days, if you remember, the priests, they would have a, uh, a plate on the front, and there would be 12 stones on it. And each one of those stones represented the children of Israel. And sometimes when they wanted to divine God's will, they would have what they called Urim and Thummim. And they were usually a black stone and a white stone of the same kind. And they would put them inside this little pouch, inside the ephod. And a question would be asked, like, am I going to get ice cream today, Lord? And then you'd reach in the pocket and you'd pull out a white stone that meant yes, which is the correct answer. And then, or you'd pull out a black stone and that meant no. And so we're going to see throughout the chapter 
Saul asking and um, inquiring at Urim and Thummim and some other methods by lots. <laughs> it's kind of an unfortunate thing when you're kind of relying upon chance in your direction from God. God is able to speak. He's able to speak to you. You don't need to pull out a rock or pull out two rocks. So verse 4, it says, Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. Bozes means slippery, and Sina means thorny. And if you've been to Israel, you understand the terrain over there is very rocky, and it can be thorny in places. It's a very dry place. Uh, Israel right now is, in many places, um, flowering like you would not believe. They sell fruit all over the world. You can go to Wegmans and buy uh, cherry tomatoes. You can buy all kinds of stuff, a product of Israel. And um, they're very fruitful, as God has uh, foretold us in Ezekiel, that he would make them a fruitful land in the time that we're in now. But notice the front, the front of one faced northward, these two rocks, opposite Michmash, and the other southward, opposite Gabeah. And then verse 6, it says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, and I love this phrase, because here again it just shows Jonathan's heart of faith. He says, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Notice, it may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. What an amazing declaration of faith. Amazing declaration. He says, it may be that the Lord will work. You notice he, he doesn't even, he's not even concerned about himself. Hey, it, it, it might work. Because we know that God is for us. And he can save by many or by few. And he is. We've seen it in their history of Israel. He could save by just a few. And God has never changed. He's never changed. He doesn't need a big army. The world says might makes right, and God says, I don't need might. I can do a lot with very little. In fact, it's better that way. Because then I get the glory, the Lord says. And no one's going to be talking about an army and how great their military was. And boy, they did this, and boy, they did that. God's going to say, no, they did it with just one guy with a slingshot. And I empowered him and, took, took, and did the job. Thanks. God is good like that. But again, they were both men of faith. David, or I'm sorry, uh, Jonathan, his armor bearer, and certainly we're going to see David later on. So notice what it says in verse 7. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is within your heart. You know, he didn't even try to argue with Jonathan. You know, his armor bearer, he's the guy who's got to bear his armor, hence the name. And so he's carrying the armor and helping Jonathan put on his armor and, you know, um, whether he put it on or not, I don't know. But he's his armor bearer. That's what he does. You know, he's not uh, a thorn in Jonathan's side. You know, when Jonathan says, you know, let's go do this. And, you know, he's not going to have this antagonist sitting next to him going, ah, I don't think it's a good idea. Don't do it. He was like, I'm with you. It reminds me of Ruth when she said to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. You know, same kind of spirit. Whatever's in your heart, I'll follow you. And that's the heart of the man. He says, go then, I am here with you according to your heart. What a wonderful man this armor bearer was. They were walking and stepped. I love that verse in Amos. This is a really wonderful verse. Amos 3, verse 3. Commit this one to memory. 
It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? It's a rhetorical question. And the answer is no. You can't walk together with somebody unless they're agreed. How can two, 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 two you know, cattle, you know, they put them in the same yoke, about the same age, the same size, the same experience, and then they're equally yoked, and they can plow that field, and there's no problems. But you get an unequally yoked bull in there, and you got one that's experienced and one that's not, it's going to be a, a wrestling match until that young bull gets it. And see, that's what is important here. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? They really can't, and it's important. And it's wonderful when you have someone like that, that, you, that agrees with you, and they're of the same heart of faith as you are. Verse 8, it says, Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say to us, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and this will be a sign for us. So really what Jonathan does here is he throws out a fleece. You ever heard of this word fleece? It's a piece of wool. It's, a, it's lambskin. With, with, you know, it's like when you shear the, the lamb or when you eat the lamb, you, you take the skin and you got the fleece, right? And that's really what this is. And where this comes from, well, let me tell you what a fleece is first. A fleece is a course of action based on a predetermined condition. If this happens, then we'll do this, and then we'll know that God is in it. I wouldn't recommend using a fleece in your everyday life. God has used it in the past. Certainly here, and certainly with Gideon, but I wouldn't recommend it to, 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 for it to be something you do on a consistent basis by any means. I think it's interesting that Jonathan gave this fleece, and if it was the Lord's will, and they responded in a certain way, they would have to go up. They would have to exert more energy to accomplish the will of God or what they thought was the will of God based on the result of the fleece. You know, he didn't turn it the other way around and say, if it's the Lord and they say, we'll come down to you, then we'll know it's the Lord. No, he, he, put, he turned it around where they actually had, if it was the will of God, they would say this and then they would actually have to walk up to them, which is a disadvantage, isn't it? And so that's what Jonathan did. In fact, Gideon did the same thing. And this is where we get the word fleece from. You might want to write Judges chapter 6. Judges 6, verse 36 through 40 in the margin of your Bible. Judges 6, verse 36 through 40. Let me read just those passages to you because Gideon did the same thing. Remember, Gideon was, uh, he was a little fearful. God had to tell him a number of times to be strong and be, be courageous. O valiant man of God. And certainly Gideon didn't see himself as that. And so Gideon, uh, because his faith wasn't co- quite complete yet, He throws out a fleece, and this is where we get the word from. It says, So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. This is a place where they would thresh wheat, where they would do this with the grain, and then they would throw it up, and then the the chaff would would go away, and the the heavier grains would land on the ground, and they would gather that up, and that's what they would use to make bread, etc. So they would, he would put this fleece, this wool, out there on the threshing floor, and if there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my... I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.